and welcome to Zata on the Move. I'm your host, Bonnie Winfrey. The Zata Club of the Joliet area is about empowering women through advocacy, education, and service. This is our first episode for the Zata on the Move podcast. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can also go to our Facebook page, as well as our website, JoliaZanta.org, to listen to our podcast. During our monthly shows, we will address issues affecting our nation. We will also bring experts to our discussions in hope of finding solutions. Today on our podcast, we're going to go on a journey in time and talk about one of our most famous Zanchans, Amelia Earhart. We will learn how her teachings, beliefs, and legacy are changing lives today. Also, you will have the opportunity to get to know the other two hosts for this podcast. We will learn more about Zanta from our district director. But first, we want to start by talking to our current president. Meet our president, ladies and gentlemen, Beth Colvin. Welcome to Zanta on the Move. Can you tell our audience what Zanta is all about and why you are connected? The Zanta Club of Joliet uh, is, it advocates on both the local and international levels to improve the legal, political, economic, education, health, and professional status of women. I am so excited to be on the first Zanta on the Move podcast. Um, I am a, also a past president. I have been a member of the Zanta Club of Joliet for 50, over 15 years. My sponsor was one of our, our hosts tonight, Pat Perrier, and I'm so thank. I want to thank her again for asking me to come to my very first meeting over 15 years ago to learn about more about Zanta. I have made lifelong friendships with so many women in the community. I, for those of you who may not be familiar with our organization. It is a part of an international organization and has been a vital part of this community for almost 50 years. In October of 2023, the club will be celebrating our 50th anniversary. That is great. So, um, Beth, can you tell us about some of the upcoming events that are happening in regards to the organization? Oh, sure, sure. I'm very excited. Um, We have quite a few upcoming events. In 2023, we uh, we are going to have the magnificent Mardi Gras with Zanta. It will be a luncheon. It will be Sunday, February 5th at 11:30 at the Jacob, the beautiful Jacob Henry Mansion Ballroom. The proceeds from this fundraiser will go to local, local and local, local organizations that will help women and children in the community. And on Thursday, March 30th at 5:30 at the Joliet Junior College's Renaissance Center. Zanta will be hosting our third annual LunaFest. Now, LunaFest is a festival of short films by women and about women. Zanta is hosting the festival during Women's History Month, which marches, um, to bring awareness to these issues locally and for the purpose of raising funds to support scholarships that the Zanta Club of Joliet established for women attending Joliet Junior College. That's great. And, uh, you know, we have the anniversary, the celebration coming up next year. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and, and what you think about the fact that this is coming up soon? The anniversary is, we, the Zanta Club of Joliet was chartered in October um, 50 years ago. So it would have, oh God, don't even put me down for the math on that one. Um, so we will be celebrating our 50th anniversary in October of 2023. And everything that the um, celebration is all in the in the works, and we, we can't wait to have our anniversary party in October of 2023. That's going to be great. You're the present president right now, and when you just look back over the years and um, you look at Zanta now, what are you most proud of? I am most proud of the, the fact that Zanta, uh, the, the, club, the Joliet Club, I've been in it for 15 years, and the... the 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 notoriety that the Zanta Club is is they've when I first joined uh, all I ever heard was what's Zanta what is Zanta about what does that mean what is Zanta and at least and now in the last fifteen years we've evolved to the fact that people in Joliet and in the area know what Zanta is about we advance the status of women and and children and girls in in the area so um, we are a service organization and we work through 
donations to support international and global initiatives. That's great. We want to thank you for just coming and being a part of this podcast. And um, and thank you for your time commitment to Zanta. And we appreciate all your work that you do. I am so excited. I, You guys, this is, this is Zanta on the move. I am very excited. I can't wait to be on the next one. All right. <laughs> you guys have a great evening. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Joining me now are our other two hosts for the podcast, Zanta of the Move. These two women are just extraordinary, and they really take our mission um, for Zanta very seriously. Our mission, by the way, is to advance the status of women locally and globally. The club, made up of professional women in the Joliet area, is service-based and raises funds through annual fundraisers. The money Zanta raises goes towards scholarships, international projects, and local charities. It is my pleasure to introduce Lisa Pappas and Pat Perrier. They are producers and hosts of Zanta on the Move. The three of us actually make up the PR team for the Joliet Area Zanta Club. And I just want to tell you that I enjoy working with these two women, and I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves to you and tell you why they are connected to Zanta. Pat? Hi, everybody. Zanta's been a part of my life since 2004, and I don't say part, I don't say I'm a member of the club. It has been a part of my life. I have held every office in Zanta except treasurer. I've been on just about every committee. Um, I have been to all of the fundraisers and done a ton of the service projects, which have been innovative and inventive and exciting and just fun to do. Zanta's always been kind of a silent power in the community, and gradually we've been raising our visibility. I'm really excited to show people what we do locally and internationally. Zanta International is a UN non-governmental organization, an NGO, and is making an impact on the lives of women and girls around the world, and that's something to talk about and be proud of. I'll be hosting the November podcast, and we'll be talking about domestic violence and services available in this community for people affected by this crime. Good. Lisa. Hi there. I'm Lisa Pappas. Um, My day job is as the director of the Plainfield Area Public Library. We serve about 80,000 people in the surrounding area of Joliet. Um, Libraries are our community hub, and as such, the directors of libraries are often asked to participate in civic organizations within our community. When I was asked to do so, um, I really wanted to find an organization that I knew was important to me and that I could connect with. Um, One of our library trustees at the time was Dr. Pat Miller, who is a co-founder of Zanta, of the Zanta Club of Joliet area, um, 49 years ago, she participated in, in setting up our club. And she often talked to me about what Zanta was doing. And it, it really resonated with me. I wanted to make sure that I was choosing an organization that, that I could really feel like I was making a difference in. Um, and so I made the, the decision to join the club. I've, been, I've only been here four years. Um, But I have been part of the executive board, and I am now the corresponding secretary, which means all the communication flows through me. I am the conduit for that. (laughs) Um, And my role on the PR team um, is really focused on social media and making sure that the community sees us, um, knows that we're there, sees what we're we're doing. Um, People really connect on our social media when they see pictures of us out in the community doing things. Um, And that's really important to me. Um, My goal um, for doing the podcast is to focus on not just what the Zonta Club locally is doing, but other Zonta Clubs in our area. You know, I hope we can branch out to nationally and globally as well. Now, when we think about um, the shows that we're doing, we're addressing issues out there 
uh, affecting our nation and um, trying to bring some solutions to some of the problems. And let's just kind of talk about some of your upcoming shows. Um, I know, Pat, you mentioned one that you're going to have on domestic violence in November. Tell us about that. Um, I, in my day job, one of my day jobs, I run Just Breathe Yoga Studio. And one of my students is a person who's been been involved as a professional in the domestic violence uh, service providing, um, the area of providing services, rather, sorry. And um, I had been talking to her off and on about her steps in her career and what she's doing now. And so it naturally kind of flowed mm-hmm. when we came up with the idea of the podcast to ask her if she would speak about what she's doing now. She's taken another step in her journey in her career and I thought she'd be really dynamic to talk about what's going on in, in the area because a lot of people don't know what is available. And sadly, they find out when they need the services. I'd like people to know that we have a robust set of people who are working to help women and children in these situations. Mm-hmm. So that's my main goal is to get word out about what's here. Right. So you're pretty much educating people mm-hmm. on this subject, and that's great. And Lisa, um, what, what is, tell us about a show that you're working on. So I'm going to really be focusing on what some of our area clubs have done in their endeavors. And that's fantastic. Um, while we don't have anything um, specific yet, we, we know that there are clubs in our area that have done mm-hmm. some really fantastic things that have been taken um, beyond just locally and gone mm-hmm. nationally. That's great. So I just want to ask, <clears throat> what does this podcast mean to the two of you in regards to outreach? Lisa? It's just a fantastic avenue to showcase what we're doing and to to really, I mean, podcasts are, are so hot right now. They really are. Um, and it's great that we are taking advantage of what is is a, a communication tool that people are really connecting to and so we need to be where the people are at and people are are listening to podcasts so that's where we should be that's great we're doing it i agree i think this podcast is genius because we've been trying to raise our visibility and we've been Mm -hmm. doing a great job yes our social media is very active we've been kind of um nudging our club members to (laughs) get a little more active and share and it's all about raising we're trying to get rid of the zanta what is that right we don't ever want to hear that again. We want to really take the next logical step, and we can do this to not only increase awareness of our local clubs' activities, but as Lisa said, clubs in the area, Kankakee, mm-hmm. you know, LaSalle, Peru, all of those clubs, and international. And we look forward to bringing interesting topics to each of the podcasts, hoping that people enjoy them. We'd also welcome suggestions on podcasts. The That's whole right. There's a whole big world out there. We that's want to right. bring the issues that we that are the tough issues, and we want to also talk about the stuff that's good. That's right. We really do. We want to hear from you out there. If you have a subject matter you would like for us to talk about it, just contact us. We'll explain how you can do that at the end of the show. But right now, ladies, we have an awesome task to um, introduce our next guest who's coming aboard, and that is Mary Baldino. Just in a word, how would you describe her, Lisa? I would describe her as um, poised, mm-hmm. <laughs> confident, mm-hmm. um, and and really embodies um, what Santa is about. And she's very willing to, to go the extra mile. Pat? And I just switched the mic over to Mary, but that's okay. We're flexible here. Yeah, I've known Mary for a long time. I think she came into the club just a year before I did. And we've been through a lot of really fun adventures. And I think that she brings a lot of depth to her understanding of Zante. And she's really good at explaining it so that people don't think it's something um, unapproachable. I think it's very approachable and very much a part of what they might want to do. That is great. So, hi, Mary Baldino, and welcome to Zanta on the Move. She is the she is our Area Five Director with District Six. Mary, welcome to Zanta on the Move. Well, Bonnie, thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. So, how long have you been involved with Zanta, 
And why do you give your time to the organization? So just a little story about how I joined Zanta. A very good friend of mine, um, Beth May, she um, was a member of Zanta. And in 2003, she decided that um, she wanted to have some more of her friends in Zanta. So at the time, you had to, it was a process that you had to go through um, to be um, nominated and it had to be approved and then you were invited to the meeting. So that happened and myself and a good friend, Yolanda Reyes and Chris Blackburn, we were all um, invited by Beth May and we came and we're all still members today. So I have been a member since 2003, like I said, mm -hmm. and so next in January, I will be celebrating 20 years as a Santa member oh, wow. of Joliet. That's great. So Congratulations. I've been around a long time. You have been. But not as long as some of them. We still have, <laughs> we have two members in our club that were charter members, and we will be celebrating our 50th anniversary next year in 2003. That's we right. were chartered in October of, of uh, 1973. Mm-hmm. That's an honor. That's going to be a great celebration. So tell us about your involvement and what you've been doing for those 20 years. So as Pat had said um, previously, I've served on many of the committees and chaired most of them. Um, and I've also served as the secretary and vice president and then president of um, the Zanta Club of Joliet. And then in 2020, 10, I was asked by the then governor of the district, um, Yvonne Chalfant, she asked me to serve as her secretary on the district level. So for that biennium 2010 through 2012, I served as the secretary um, at the district level. So I got to know a lot about what the district does. I got to meet a lot of new people from around. And the district, let me just back up a little bit. Mm -hmm. The district covers um, three states, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Indiana. Mm -hmm. And um, currently, there are 22 clubs in those three states. Um, at that time, um, there were a few more clubs. We have lost some members and clubs over those 10 years. But um, it was just, um, that was my introduction to a higher level of Zanta. And um, it really it really did encourage me to do more and want to do more. So um, with that, then once I was done with that, then I really did a lot with service and advocacy with our club and fundraising. And, um, and that's about where I'm at today. That is great. <laughs> So what is going on with Zanta on the district and national level? Can you share with us? Sure. So um, currently I serve as, as you said, the Area 5 director for District 6. So Area 5, um, the district is broke up into five different areas. And Area 5 takes in five clubs, which are geographically close together. So I... Um, really am a liaison for these clubs to the district level, working with the district board. And they are the Kankakee Club, the Joliet Club, LaSalle Peru, Ottawa, and the Streeter Clubs. So I work with those clubs. Um, I, As I said, I'm a liaison somewhat. Mm -hmm. um, I relay information after our district board meetings. I relay information that we've talked about at district. Um, information to those club presidents so they can share them with their club members. Also, if there are actionable items that they need to be working on um, for the district or for Zanta International, then I let them know that too. And then in reverse, I really communicate with the, the presidents of those clubs. And if they have issues or concerns, if I can't deal with them, I take that to the district board and then we work with that on, on that level. And, um, and we're doing a lot. The district um, really has, uh, they work a lot like Zanta International, just at the district level. So in Zanta International, there are 32 districts globally. So we are District 6. Um, and there are, I don't know if you have mentioned that, there are um, 
over 1,200 or no, 1,100 clubs, um, and there's t- over 26,000 members worldwide. So, That's great. Yeah, so we are, a, you know, a good size organization. Um, and at the district level, we kind of work on the same thing that Zonta International does, but we do it within our district, and we try to do those initiatives district. So when we're dealing with the club, um, we do a lot of things with the clubs. <clears throat> we work on our service and advocacy, our fundraising, um, and scholarships. We award scholarships. And um, actually, we have a Z Club, too, which is mm-hmm. where we work with um, um, young girls at the high school level and um, and introduce them to the world of Zanta, introduce them and how they can work towards women's initiatives, helping young women. And we work with them in mentoring them and preparing them to move on going into, um, you know, um, college education. That is great. So, Mary, you've seen Zanta in action, and you've been a part of that as far as Zanta um internationally and even from the local level that we have helping people. Can you Mm -hmm. tell us some stories that stand out in your mind? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As far as working with um, people? Mm -hmm. um, The food drive at the uh, fall conference. Oh, so the service um, committee for the the district, um, they have come up with a um, an initiative for all the clubs in the district to work on um, addressing food poverty. So they have challenged the clubs to do projects that they can work with the community, they can partner with other um, organizations in the community um, to, that also help women and girls and um, do either a food drive or you can do a combination food drive or prepare meals or um, help people who who need that. I mean, and, to, and with the inflation the way it is today, we all need a little help with food on the table. So it's a great initiative that we can actually, Zanta can work with others in the community and really um, get our name out there and partner with them. That is great, Mary. We're just so happy that you're here with us and um, telling us all about your involvement. I enjoy being a Zanshan, and I enjoy looking at you for all the things that you're doing and your involvement and everything. And um, I know the organization says thank you. So just want you to know we appreciate you. Well, you know, they have a new tagline. Zanta International has a new tagline for this biennium with this new Zanta International president that started. And it's build a better world for women mm-hmm. and girls. That's so that's good. what we really try to do. And with all of our actions and our advocacy and our service, that's what we really try to do. We focus on building a better world for women and girls. Thank you, Mary, for just stopping by and talking with us today. Thanks, Bonnie. Thank you. some questions to think about. Are you motivated and doing everything you are designed to do? Why do you think you are on this earth today? What is your purpose? Well, after listening to our next guest, you may find some answers. We are talking to Bram Kleppner, who is Amelia Earhart's great nephew and CEO of Danford Pewter. Bram, when I think about Amelia Earhart, I feel she was about living her dream. Do you agree? I do agree. I think you know, when you look at her life, one of the great lessons is that she pursued her passions and the things she cared about, even when um, those paths took her places that in her lifetime, women hadn't gone before. And she did not let that stop her from doing what she dreamed of doing and what she thought was important to do. That's amazing. Tell us about you. Uh, I want our audience to know more about you and how you're related to Amelia Earhart. 
Well, I am, uh, as you said, Amelia Earhart's great-nephew, which is to say Amelia didn't have any children. Uh, She had one sister uh, whose name was Muriel, although she was called Pidge in her youth. Um, And Muriel had two children, um, and one of those was my mother. So my mother's mother's sister was Amelia, uh, my mother's aunt, and my great-aunt. But, you know, growing up, um, I didn't really have an awareness when I was little that we were related to Amelia. And look, Looking back on it, I think there were a few factors, but you know, from you know, 1928 until 1937 or so, you can argue that Amelia was perhaps the most famous woman in the world. And mm-hmm. when I look back on my grandmother's life, Mm-hmm. Um, now I sort of think it must have been kind of hard to be the little sister of someone who was so famous. And my grandmother kept a portrait of Amelia on the wall with a Hawaiian lay of flowers hung over the corner, but didn't talk about her a lot. And, um, you know, my mother was the same way. You know, I think she is a very accomplished woman in her own right and sort of didn't want to be known for being a celebrity relative, wanted to be, you know, kind of judged on her own merits and, uh, so my mother, you know, again, lots of people who knew her well had no idea that she was Amelia Earhart's niece until, interestingly, she retired and got into her 80s. And in her 80s, she finally started to engage with what it meant to be part of Amelia Earhart's family and with Amelia's legacy and started writing a little bit about Amelia. And uh, it was a really interesting evolution to see her go through. And uh, as she went through it, we, we my brother and I um, helped her when we could and supported her when she needed and and also became more engaged in uh, in Amelia's legacy. That's great. So when we think about Amelia as a, a pilot, um, I know there's been a lot of speculation out there. Why did she fly that last flight? Do you know anything about what that was about? Yes. Uh, And it's interesting because it probably would have been her last big flight if she had made it, as well as it being definitely her last flight because she didn't. You know, Mm -hmm. she had said, I think I have one more big flight in me. Um, And I think she did it for the same group of reasons that she always flew. I think, one, she just loved flying. You know, it just was a very joyous activity for her. And she thought the view of the clouds and the world from above was transcendent beautiful and was drawn to that beauty and the freedom of being in the air. And along with that, there was her belief that it would be good for everyone if people were more aware of uh, the capabilities that women had and the courage that women had and the technical ability that women had and their ability to do amazing things. Uh, She thought the more that both women and men were aware of that, the better off we'd all be. You know, she really left us with a, a gift because aviation was definitely important to her, as we know. But she left us with a speech in 1935 called A Woman's Place in Science, uh, which I thought was pretty amazing. And you could really feel the the passion that she had about flying. Um, What do you think she's done for women today in leaving such a speech? She disappeared 85 years ago. And tracing her influence on the lives of women through almost a century um, would seem to be a challenge, but, you know, there's actually... It's actually not that hard to trace. You know, she lobbied President Hoover for the Equal Rights Amendment um, you know, before President Roosevelt was elected in 1932. So you know, she was an early, an early advocate for uh, women's rights under law and professionally. She spent a lot of time, including her time as a member of Zonta, um, you know, advocating for girls' education and women's education and careers for women. She spent the last couple years of her life on the faculty of Purdue University as a career counselor for women students. Um, and you know, to this day, Purdue has a strong aviation program and has produced many of um, the country's pilots and some of the country's women astronauts. So you, know, you can see direct influence there. And more indirectly, um, you know, one, of the, one of the astronauts 
who is currently training with NASA, who is very likely to be the first woman on the moon, uh, when asked about her childhood idols, first person she named was Amelia Earhart. That's great. And yeah, um, so I think, <laughs> and you know, we're coming up on Halloween, and there will be thousands <laughs> of little girls across the country dressed up as Amelia with a helmet and goggles, the Godvers. Um, so she she has left a role model for generations of women in this country, and I think again that that is um, that benefits everybody. So when she took her last flight, I know there were people searching for her, um, and they didn't find anything. Did they find traces? of some of the plane at all, or what happened in that search effort? You're right. There are uh, a lot of theories about what happened to her, and a lot of people have searched in a lot of places. And there are, I'd say, sort of three big schools of thought. Uh, one is that she ran out of fuel somewhere near Howland Island in the Pacific, and the plane went down in the ocean and sank in those very deep waters, and that was that. There's another group of people who believe that she made it to a different island about 400 miles south called Nicomarora and survived ditching the plane in the lagoon there, lived on the island for a little while, and eventually died of starvation and dehydration. And then there's a third school who believe that she was captured by the Japanese. Oh, and really? either died in captivity or, you know, I mean, that theory branches out. She died of cholera in captivity on the island of Saipan, or uh, she was executed as a spy by the Japanese, or she was taken back to Japan and eventually returned to the United States in disguise. And I mean, there are all sorts of, all sorts of uh, theories, but <laughs> The one, they have two common themes. One for each theory, there are a group of people who are 100% certain that that theory is correct. And the other thing that is true about all the theories is that there is not a single shred of evidence for any of them. Not a single bit of the airplane has ever been found. Not a single bit of DNA has ever been found. And there's lots of suggestive circumstantial mm -hmm. evidence for mm -hmm. all of them, but not a single piece of evidence for any of them. Wow. I know that took a toll on your family, you know, to, to not know what really happened. Yeah, I think, um, you know, particularly my great-grandmother mm -hmm. uh, never accepted that her daughter Amelia had died and, you know, kept a little travel bag packed for Amelia uh, until the day that my great-grandmother died. She always thought that she'd need to go off and bring Amelia some things when she was found. Um, and so clearly, you know, very difficult for my great-grandmother, I think awfully hard on my grandmother. You know, my grandmother and Amelia, when they were little girls, were very, very close, mm -hmm. um, did everything together and were as close as could be. As they grew up, went in pretty different directions. You know, Amelia pursued um, a number of things, actually, social work and nursing um, and college for a brief time and aviation. And my grandmother went through college and got married and had children and, um, you know, had a, had a more settled life. And there was some tension between the two, I think, partly because Amelia did not like my grandfather at all and kept trying to convince my grandmother to get rid of him. <laughs> um, but, uh, and there was, you know, there was sort of this interesting money dynamic, too. Um, in early adulthood, my grandmother, who was married to a guy who had a decent job, mm -hmm. had some money and Amelia didn't have any. So my grandmother was lending Amelia money to buy planes and so forth. And then, of course, when Amelia grew more famous and had more opportunities to earn and became more wealthy um, and, the, the, you know, the Great Depression dug deeper and deeper, it sort of went the other way. And Amelia was sending money to my grandmother mm -hmm. and sending money to my grandmother to take care of their mother and so forth. And uh, so I think, you know, between Amelia's disapproval of my grandfather and between the sort of shifting money dynamics, there was there was some tension, but they stayed close. And, you know, they, they you know, were close enough to give each other all kinds of advice. And, um, and I think it was really hard on my grandmother when, when her sister disappeared. Yes, I can imagine. The other thing, we're talking about strong women here. We're talking about a legacy um, that Amelia left, but when you think about your mom and your grandmother and your great-grandmother, and you go back, there's a lot of lessons that were taught and learned during that time. Time. Can you talk about some of those? I think that my great great grandparents mm -hmm. must have been really cool. <laughs> because, um, Why do you say that? <laughs> 
when so my um, my great grandfather Amelia's father and my grandmother's father was an alcoholic mm-hmm. and you know, lost job after job and had to move around the country looking for work. So Amelia and my grandmother spent a lot of time with their maternal grandparents, mm-hmm. um, Alfred and Amelia Otis, who lived in Atchison, Kansas. And in fact, their home in Atchison is where Amelia was born, and it is now the Amelia Earhart Birthplace Museum, and uh, it's a great place. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, you know, Amelia's, I mean, Amelia did not appear in, out of nowhere. Um, you know, her mother, Amy Otis Earhart, uh, was one of the first women to make it to the top of Pikes Peak in Colorado. It's a 14,000-foot peak, and, uh, you know, this was, I don't remember what year it was, but but, you know, could have been 1880 or something like that. Um, you know, at a time when women were not climbing mountains and were not mountaineering, off she went. And, you know, knowing nothing else. She was know, very daring. Mother. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, she had courage. Yes. She had enough physical strength, which didn't come from nowhere. Clearly, she was an active person to be able to go by horseback and then by foot up to the top of this mountain where almost no women had ever gone. She wasn't quite the first, but she was awfully close. Um, and you know, she had clearly grown up in a household where that was at least permitted, if not encouraged. And, you know, her mother, um, Amelia Harris Otis, had moved from Philadelphia in, I think, around 1860 or something, Mm -hmm. um, had moved to Atchison, Kansas, to help fight for Kansas's being admitted to the Union as a free state and not a slave state. So, you know, another like great-great-grandmother out there mm-hmm. fighting for racial justice you know, in 1860. Oh, wow. And then her daughter, Amy Otis, uh, who became Amy Otis Earhart, mountaineering, Amelia doing all the things she did. And when Amelia and my grandmother were little, um, staying with their grandparents in Atchison for the full summer or in a couple occasions for a full year, their grandmother supported their running around and climbing trees and getting dirty and crawling into caves. And their grandmother sewed them what they called bloomers, but sewed them pants um, because that was more convenient for jumping over fences and climbing trees than skirts were. Mm. So like she was cool, right? Like their grandmother (laughs) all the way back then. That is cool. And, you know, the grandmother and grandfather gave these girls when they were like 12 and 10 years old, gave them a 22 rifle to go shoot rats that were infesting their barns. (laughs) And of course, they took on the challenge, right? They did. They did. And there's sort of this this odd contradiction that, um, you know, they were both animal lovers, and here they were, blasting rats into oblivion. But, uh, <laughs> um, there they go. So, and, and, you know, my grandmother as well, you know, clearly very much uh, uh, obscured and in the shadow of her very famous record-breaking up-into-the-cloud sister. But, you know, she was also um, very you know brave and progressive mm-hmm. and strong in her own way. She was a uh, my grandmother, Muriel Earhart Morrissey, was uh, a founding member of the Medford, Massachusetts chapter of the NAACP, for instance, mm-hmm. um, and you know, took my mother and my mother's brother on overnight bike rides to go see friends. Uh, you know, they were out camping in farmer's fields and, and all this sort of thing. So you're right, there, there's a long legacy of strong, brave women who are not afraid to venture out and... They're fantastic. Do, wow. Yeah, do, you know, <laughs> do what do what they want to do and go where they want to go and, and stand up for what they believe is right. That is great. So, advocacy where did that come from you think with Amelia from her mom as well or you know because we all know she was a Zanchin so um, the commitment was there for advocacy where do you think that came from yeah you know I think you know in many ways um, I mean there's a bumper sticker that says something like feminism is the radical notion that women are people right Mm-hmm. And uh, I think in many ways, advocacy for equality for women is um, a very common sense position. <laughs> you know, if you're not uh, biased by the family you grew up in or the society you grew up in or whatever, um, it's sort of a nat- natural to say, of course, everyone should have equal rights. Um, and I you know, I think that, uh, you know, Amelia was a strong personality who did not let sort of society's current beliefs influence a very clear-sighted view of what's fair 
fair and what's not fair and what's right and what's wrong and what matters and what doesn't matter. That's and, great. Um, you know, just I think, and I think she saw it as a as a, a tragedy for both men and women mm-hmm. that women were, um, you know, not the least bit encouraged and often actively kept from doing everything that they were capable of doing and creating what they were capable of creating and contributing, whether it be in the sciences or the arts or technology or politics or in any other sphere of human endeavor, that we were all impoverished uh, by the fact that uh, half of humanity was was not encouraged to contribute. Now, you know about this, and we kind of talked about it earlier, as far as some statues that have been erected in Amelia's um, honor. Tell us about those. There was one just recently. Yes, there were actually two recently. There is, and it's it's a wonderful thing. Um, so it's fantastic. Thanks for uh, following up on that topic. Uh, so in the United States Capitol building, uh, whatever, 150 years ago or whenever it was, Congress created the National Statuary Hall, and they invited each state to contribute two statues. And, you know, of course, when the thing was built, everyone sent two old white guys. And Congress did give each state the um, right to trade out their statues. Mm-hmm. And I believe that it is true. I'm not completely sure about this, but I believe it is true that Kansas, to their great credit, is the only state that so far has gotten rid of both of their old white guys Mm -hmm. and replaced them with General Dwight D. Eisenhower Mm -hmm. and on July 27th with Amelia Earhart, (coughs) who out of the hundred statues, uh, I believe she is now the 11th woman standing in Statuary Hall. So, uh, you know, a little bit better than 10, but not quite 50, <laughs> is it? Um, although I heard there was another woman on her way to join them soon. So maybe it's up to maybe it's up to 12 now. But, you know, it was it was uh, the unveiling ceremony was in July, uh, uh-huh. just this past July. And it turns out that as part of her official duties as Speaker of the House, the Speaker is in charge of the building, the Capitol building and the stuff that goes on inside it. So Speaker Pelosi presided over the unveiling ceremony. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a great congresswoman from Kansas named Sharice Davids. And she was there and also spoke. And the governor of Kansas right now is another wonderful woman, Governor Laura Kelly, who was also there. And, you know, to think about how pleased Amelia would be to hear people saying Madam Speaker and Madam Governor and Congresswoman uh, at the unveiling of her statue was was really wonderful. That is so fantastic. So when you think about Amelia, I know we've said a lot about her, (laughs) and I thank you for all those wonderful stories. What does she really stand for to you? I look at her as being an icon for the world, but as a family member, um, knowing that, you know, um, you have this chemistry together. What does she really stand for in your eyes? To me, Amelia stands for, you know, first and foremost, for courage. And it's the courage to pursue your dreams. It's the courage to speak honestly. It's physical courage in her case, of course, which you know, took her on planes and across oceans at a time when lots of people died doing that. You know, she was very aware of the risks and felt that it was risks that were worth taking to her, that the joy and the value um, to her and to humanity of her flying was worth the risk that she might not come back from one of her flights. Mm. And, um, you know, she wrote a lovely poem called Courage is the Price that starts with just those lines. Courage is the price that life exacts for granting peace. And, you know, I think about that a lot. And uh, I think the courage to pursue your dreams and the courage to stand up for what's right is, is really what Amelia is to me. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. You know, I think about all the gifts that she she left us, you know, like I was talking earlier about the speech um, and then the poem you just recited a little bit. And then when I think about her quotes, um, she was just a motivator. She encouraged people and um, her quotes really inspire this. I'm just going to rattle off at uh, talk about a few of them. The most difficult thing is the decision to act. The rest is merely tenacity. Women like men should try to do the impossible. To me, that says no limits. You know, don't let your gender dictate your possibilities. Go for it. Anticipation, I suppose, sometimes exceeds realization. To me, that, again, is another motivator. You know, we need to expect, you know, we need to do things 
um, with expectancy or think of expectancy. Never interrupt someone doing what you said couldn't be done. To me, that means don't express doubt or disbelief on others. And I like this other one that she kind of put out there, too. And it um, goes like, never do things others can do and will do if there are things others cannot do or will not do. So to me, that means just go out there and do what you're supposed to be doing. Um, Amelia Earhart was truly challenging us with these quotes. And my challenge to everybody out there in our podcast audience, what quotes do you have? You know, I think we all should create some quotes on our own to live by and to also teach with. So Amelia did that for us, and I think that um, it would be a great lesson for us to learn from her and create our own quotes in life. And Bram, I think it's really great, everything that Amelia's done, but in speaking about Zanta, uh, Zanta International uh, has created a fellowship, which I think is really fantastic, and it kind of goes like this as far as the criteria and um, what's going on about it. Globally, women make up about 25% of the workforce in the aerospace industry in an effort to carry out its mission that women have access to all resources and are represented in decision-making positions on an equal basis with men. Zanta International offers the Amelia Earhart Fellowship. Now, this fellowship was established in 1938 in honor of her. And right now, they're giving away the fellowship for $10,000, up to 30 women pursuing PhDs, doctoral degrees in aerospace, engineers, um, space sciences, and it can be used at any university or college um, offering accredited postgraduate courses and degrees in these fields. Since the program's inception, inception in 1938, Zanta has awarded 1,704 Amelia Earhart fellowships, totaling more than $11.3 million in 1,272 1, women in 76 countries. That's amazing. And you know what's really fantastic um, to me, Bram, is that the fellowship has gone to um, women that have become astronauts, aerospace engineers, astronomers, professors, geologists, business owners, heads of companies, and even the Secretary of the United States Air Force. How does that make you feel? You know, it is it is so wonderful uh, and humbling what Zonda has done. I mean, for these thousands of women around the world for the last 90 years, right? Like, it's it's amazing. Um, and I think it's just one of the most wonderful expressions of Amelia's legacy that there is. It's wonderful. It really is that people are pursuing their dreams and, um, you know, they're learning about her. Her legacy is being kept intact. And um, it's really a wonderful thing. I couldn't agree more. Do you have another story for me that you can share? <laughs> Oh, um, you know, there there are people who have over the years tracked down my mother one way or another mm-hmm. and gotten her on the phone and asked her about this or that, asked her if, you know, if the family has any inside information about what happened to Amelia or and, and things like that. And, um, you know, she's generally polite but fairly short with those people. But <laughs> every now and then, some very enterprising young woman in middle school will track her down and, you know, you can just see a whole different side. Um, you know, it just, I think, pleases my mother, who is now 91, mm-hmm. um, but it just warms her heart that there is a whole new generation of young women who are interested in Amelia and learning about Amelia and hopefully will be inspired by her. Um, so I think it's a, a, a lovely little moment that, you know, I, I get to witness sometimes that probably the outside world is not aware of. That is so great. And I just want to thank you for coming aboard here for Zanta on the Move. And you've helped us learn so much about Amelia. And we're just so thankful. And, you know, the name of the game here is that we're going to keep her legacy alive. So we appreciate everything that um, you've told us today. 
and um, Zanta will continue to uh, talk about her. And um, as you know, we just talked about the fellowship, uh, continue to you know, educate young women about her in general. So thank you so much for coming on our first podcast to talk about her. We appreciate you. You, you are, are very welcome, and I'm so grateful for the invitation and the opportunity to speak with you, and so grateful for, really, for everything that Zanta does for for women around the world. Uh, the, the work you do that's inspired by and named after Amelia uh, is absolutely wonderful, but that's only a small part of, of all the wonderful work that, that you do. So so thank you all for, for everything you do. It's, it's um, wonderful, and I'm deeply grateful for all of it. Graham Kleppner, we appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I also want to thank all of my guests. Um, they have just been uh, amazing. You know, Beth and Pat and Lisa and Mary. Um, you guys have just brought a wealth of knowledge to this podcast, and I want to thank you. And I enjoy being a Zanshan as well. You know, we do a lot of work. You're going to hear a lot from us as far as us coming together, bringing these podcast to each and every one of you and um, we want you to just stay connected because we're going to have some great things to talk about and to share with each one of you so thank you all for joining us stay connected to our Zanta on the Move podcast and I'm Bonnie Winfrey thank you again Zanta on the Move is hosted and produced by Bonnie Winfrey, Pat Perrier, and Lisa Pappas. It is engineered and edited by Alex Melkars. Zanta on the Move is recorded in the WCSF studio on the campus of the University of St. Francis in Joliet, Illinois. The views reflected in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the University of St. Francis, WCSF, University Administration, or the Catholic Diocese of Joliet.